sa savers or losers? Uh, I'm a saver. My parents are immigrants. We're all naturally savers. I'm not saying if you're a saver, you're a, literally a loser. Uh, you're a loser to inflation. You're a loser to groceries going up 70, 80, 90% over two, three years. You're a loser to everything inflating except your money, right? So if you have your money in a bank account, uh, let's just take three, four years ago before COVID, right? Uh, bank accounts were yielding maybe a percent, you know, maybe a little bit less than that, maybe 0.7%, while stocks were going up 10, 15, 20, 30%, right? So um, an inflation at the same time is, let's just call it three, even though we all know it's not three, it's much higher than that for day-to-day -day goods. Um, so by you earning 0.7 by saving and the cost of bananas going up 40% uh, and stocks going up significantly higher than 0.7%, by saving your money, you're losing purchasing power to inflation. Hey guys, and welcome to Money Talks News, the podcast. In this episode, we're talking about how just about anyone can start investing. You know, when I was an investment broker 40 years ago, investing was a huge pain in the butt. You needed to have thousands of dollars and you had to pick up the phone and talk to someone like me. You couldn't just do it yourself. Today, though, things have changed. Did you know you can start investing with as little as $5? And you don't even need anyone's help. You can just do it online. And investing is super important. Stocks and other risk assets are one of the best ways to build wealth over time. So today, we're going to help you get started, whether you've got five bucks or five million. I'm Stacy Johnson. As usual, my co-host will be financial journalist Miranda Marquette. Hello, Miranda. Hey, Stacy. I'm I'm ready to start investing with five million dollars. You got that for me? I have that. I have that for you. And you get you're going to get every dime of it at the end of this podcast. Just you have to listen to the entire thing, though. Uh, Great. I'm in. <laughs> also, we've got our uh, producer and, oh, and a novice investor, Aaron Freeman. Aaron, how's it going? Good. You guys are going to match each each of my contributions, right? Whatever I put in, <laughs> you match it. If, as long as it's $5, I'll do that. Oh, okay. And today we've got a special guest with us. It is Marco Zlatic. Zlatic. Is that right, Marco? Correct. Yes. Marco is the founder of Whiteboard Finance. Now, before we start, you guys, remember, this is not financial advice. Make sure you do your own research and consult your own experts before acting on anything that you hear on this podcast. Okay, let's dive in. Let's start, Marco, by me asking you what, why you are here today. What is Whiteboard Finance? What is your background? Yeah, so first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Marco Zlatic. I run Whiteboard Finance. Uh, it's a financial education YouTube channel. So I have almost about a million subscribers on there. And uh, it's just a passion project that grew into something much larger. Um, so I got my finance degree in 2006, or excuse me, 2010. I started investing in 2006 um, and then basically just started the channel in November of 2017. So it's been about six years now. And I just teach uh, people about you know financial basics, basically personal finance, uh, investing, entrepreneurship, and uh, real estate. That's typically what my professional background has been in. And I've been on YouTube full-time uh, since April of 2019. Cool. I'll be watching you on YouTube. That sounds exciting. And one of the things I, I like about Marco specifically is... Uh, how, how boring he is and not boring in a bad way, <laughs> but, but boring in the way that he's not out here going like, I'm going to help you make, you know, $10,000 by next week. And <laughs> we're going to do some options trading today. So uh, his content's really great. It's very practical and it's uh, very approachable. And that's what I like about it. Thank you. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in this too. As a matter of fact, I have to tell you guys something too. We're going to talk about how to get started investing with very little money. And this is something I've written about 20 times 
you know, because I've been doing this for a very long time. But but here's my confession. I don't actually know all the ins and outs of what's happening right now today. The stuff that I've done in the past was old stuff. You know, I mean, like before apps came along and stuff like that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna count on you guys to school me on how to get started with little bits of uh, little bits of money. So now, what are the biggest barriers people face, Marco, when when it comes to investing? Is is money the biggest? I wouldn't say so. I think a lot of people don't talk about uh, money or personal finance or investing in general. So if you picture a family of four sitting around the dinner table, uh, finance is probably not one of the topics being discussed. So I think a lot of it is intimidation when there ne- doesn't necessarily have to be intimidation. That's funny. We talked about that a lot on, on throughout our shows. Families what, don't talk about finances. No, how yeah. families don't talk about finances. Oh, that's well, true. Yeah, well, and and then I I think the intimidation factor is really there too, right? Because it's not something you talk about. It's not something that is real in your life, right? You're not talking about around the dinner table. It's not high up there. And then it's something that, um, you know, the language of finance is unnecessarily um, technical and complicated to make people feel that and like feel intimidated. And then you have all these myths about, oh, I need like, and, and part of it, I mean, when I was growing up, uh, when I asked my parents, like when I went away to college and I was like, oh, you know, like, you know, where can I buy a mutual fund, blah, blah, blah. And my parents were like, oh, well, you need at least $5,000 if you're going to invest in a mutual fund. I'm like, where am I going to get $5,000? And so I think, you know, we we didn't talk about it growing up. And then when I asked about it, they're just like, oh, babe, you, you can't invest until you have at least $5,000. So don't even think about it. <laughs> and it was like, Okay. <laughs> a lot has changed. So well, I started investing in 2006 when I was 18. Uh, now I'm 35, about to be 36. Um, so basically, I remember with Trade King. So if you remember, uh, Stacy, you probably remember this, Miranda, Aaron, most likely as well. Um, whenever you went to execute a trade, it would cost like 19.95, you know, through E Trade, right? Nineteen dollars ninety five cents. So I started uh, investing in 2006. I remember with Trade King. The only reason I went with Trade King, I believe someone bought them. I can't remember who it is now, but um, basically it was 4.95 a trade. So I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm going to sign up for Trade King. I'm going to become this day trader and become a millionaire, right? So this is before I knew you know, much or anything about investing in general. But I remember you had to take a photocopy of your driver's license uh, along with these forms that you would print out on your printer. Uh, and then you would literally mail it to the company. I believe they're in Florida. And then you'd wait like two, three weeks to get accepted, right? <laughs> to say like, uh-huh. hey, your account's open. Here's your, you know, login information. Now you have, you know, 18-year-olds just picking up a f- cell phone and, you know, investing with Robinhood, for example. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. Well, let's let's restate what the barriers are. Okay, you've got uh, the the technical terms uh, and the the amount of I'd say risk. Probably people are afraid of too, right? Uh, and, and then also thinking that they need a lot of money. How do you overcome barriers like that, Marco? Uh, you go to youtube.com and you type in whiteboard finance and hit enter. <laughs> and then that's that's how you overcome literally all those barriers. No, all joking aside, I think it's just education. So, um, you know, if you ask someone who doesn't know how to change oil on a car, you know, and say, hey, you got to change this oil right now, you know, otherwise, you know, you're not going to grow your net worth. You're not going to grow your wealth over time unless you know exactly how to change the oil of this car. Um, that would probably eliminate 90% of the population, right? Or I don't know how many people know how to change oil or not. But my point is, is that I think 
unless people understand and understand simply what they're getting into, um, I think to Miranda's point earlier, there's just a lot of technical jargon, jargon excuse me, and a lot of educational uh, terms um, or education that needs to happen to understand those terms to be able to be confident enough to actually put your money um, into you know these investments. Okay, panel, if I say to you guys, you know what? Why bother? Who cares? I mean, you know, let's take my wife, for example, who I torture every week on this podcast. Um, she, she goes to work. She makes her money. She puts it in the bank. She doesn't want to deal with stocks. She thinks they're too risky. The, the terms are complicated. Who cares? What difference does it make? Why, why should we go to this trouble of learning this process? Sa- savers or losers. Um, there it so, is. <laughs> yeah, so savers or losers. So uh, I'm a saver. My parents are immigrants. We're all naturally savers. I'm not saying if you're a saver, you're a, literally a loser. Uh, you're a loser to inflation. You're a loser to groceries going up 70, 80, 90% over two, three years. You're a loser to everything inflating except your money, right? So if you have your money in a bank account, uh, let's just take three, four years ago before COVID, right? Uh, bank accounts were yielding maybe a percent, you know, maybe a little bit less than that, maybe 0.7%, while stocks were going up 10, 15, 20, 30%, right? So um, an inflation at the same time is, let's just call it three, even though we all know it's not three, it's much higher than that for day-to-day goods. Um, so by you earning 0.7 by saving and the cost of bananas going up 40% uh, and stocks going up significantly higher than 0.7%, by saving your money, you're losing purchasing power to inflation. So savers are losers um, in the long term, uh, as long as investments are outpacing what you can get in a savings account. Uh, and also while inflation is higher, what you can get in a savings account, you're literally losing purchasing power to inflation. Well, that makes sense. It's certainly an argument I used to make all the time and still do make all the time uh, when I'm writing or when I'm speaking. But, you know, some people, there's, it's hard to persuade people uh, once you, I mean, you can say, I understand the facts. I mean, I think actually the most compelling thing you said is that I was a loser. <laughs> Because <laughs> I mean, the first thing I thought it was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I want to be a winner. Yeah. Well, be besides that, I think one of the big things you have to get over is there's an emotional element to investing, and a lot of people have a trust problem with the financial institution. Um, mm-hmm. My grandparents, a lot of immigrants, they they come from countries where you don't trust banks, you don't trust anything. You you bury, you know, you take a tin and you bury it in the backyard. Um, how do you get over that? Good question. I mean, I, well, I think part of it, I think you said mindset. And, and one of the other issues along with that and not trusting is what's really hard is educating people about the difference between investing, uh, speculating, and gambling. Uh, because like, I hear this all the time, um, just here in my real life, uh, where people are like, oh, if you, like, they're like, and they talk about it, they're like, playing the stock market is gambling. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like investing is not the same thing as gambling. And then people also get overwhelmed with like, how do I pick a stock? How do I pick a winning stock? And for me, a lot of the education is, okay, first of all, let's talk about the difference between investing, speculating, and gambling. And then let's talk about how you don't actually have to use stocks to invest. And then, you know, but it's, it's really hard to dial that back and deal with those emotions and sit down with people and, and, and overcome those. And so now I'm going to turn it over to Marco to actually give you useful information. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Miranda. So I've so my investing journey was basically this. So as I mentioned, I started in 2006 at 18. And as an 18-year-old, you don't know 
literally anything about anything. All you know is that, oh, I play soccer. I wear Nike soccer cleats. I'm going to buy Nike stock. Or I have an uh, iPod. If you guys remember the iPod, all the young people listening to this are like, what is that? Uh, it's an MP3 player. What is an MP3? It's an audio file. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm going to invest in Apple, right? I have an iPod. I wear Nike cleats. So when you're in your young in your investing journey, there's nothing wrong with buying individual stocks. But my big wake up call was in college. Um, my personal finance professor, uh, he taught us about uh, spiders, you know, ETFs, index funds, things like that. This is when, you know, State Street and all that stuff started creating index funds and Vanguard. And I've pretty much been, I don't want to say in the boglehead camp of like the three fund portfolio of total stock market, um, total bond market, and then maybe some international exposure. Um, but that's still index funds and ETFs make up a large percentage of my net worth to this day, you know, 17 years later. Um, so that was kind of my wake up call. So to Miranda's point, you don't necessarily have to speculate in the next big, you know, biotech stock or, you know, big tech stock or Tesla or any of these companies, you can choose to make that a percentage of your portfolio, a percentage of your pie. If you look at it like a slice of a pizza, maybe make that 5% of your pizza. Uh, but the rest for me, at least is investing in a total stock market fund, um, which would be something like a VTI from Vanguard, for example. Cool. And actually, that's the next thing I was going to say, too. When we talk about investing, that's a really broad term. Um, so what type of investing? You know, actually, even vehicles for investing, like my my wife, for example, doesn't know a thing about stock market, doesn't really care to know, and yet does have a 401k plan uh, mm -hmm. that's partially invested in an index fund. She probably doesn't know that, but she does. So a lot of people may be investing anyway through a company retirement plan, right? Uh, so even if uh, even if that's all you do, uh, that's something. Yeah, that's a great point, Stacey. There's so many different ways to quote unquote invest. Um, I think that once people, I think everyone's introduction, similar to the example of your wife, you know, everyone's inherently tied to the market one way or another, especially if they have some sort of employee sponsored plan or a tax advantaged plan, like a 401k, for example. I think that's where most people's interest in investing actually starts. They're not the 18 year old, you know, scanning their driver's license to open up a trade king account. There's someone who got their first big boy, big girl job and realized, hey, I have this thing available to me. And it's called a 401k, a Roth IRA, you know, a Roth 401k. Um, so I think that's a very good example. And, you know, by the way, I want to say one other thing, too. Uh, I bought Apple because of iPods in 2001. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> that's really true. Uh, and you know what? I put $1,700 into Apple in 2001, and it's I don't, I don't own it all anymore, but I, I made well over a million dollars on it. Unbelievable. Yeah, just by holding on to it for 20 years. Now, obviously, I'm not suggesting that I haven't made stupid mistakes in investing, which I certainly have. But but there's there's there are dumber things to do than looking around you and seeing what's popular and buying that stock. It's probably not the it's not not the beginning and end of your research on that company, but uh, it, it's not stupid to do. No, I mean, Peter Lynch has a great book. Um, yeah. yeah, he basically talks about like, well, my wife buys these, you know, pantyhose. Who's the company that makes these pantyhose, right? It's basically figuring out, you know, what day-to-day -day stuff that you buy as an average Joe or regular consumer, and then maybe diving a little bit deeper or peeling back layers of the onion of those companies. That, that's literally where I got that from. Uh, yeah. That idea from was that book. Do you remember the name of that book? I think it's either One Up on Wall Street that's it. or that's something it. like that. Yeah, I can't remember. Yep, One Up on Wall Street. So if out there, if you're out there listening, that's a really good book and it's really easy to read. And it it literally made me a ton of money just by that one suggestion alone. Yep.
Okay, now let's take a quick break. We're halfway through our show, so we got to pay some bills. We're going to be right back after this quick commercial break. We're going to talk about steps you can take to start investing right now, even if you don't think you have enough money to start. Okay, we'll be right back. And we are back. But before we start, if you appreciate what we do, do something for us. Share the show with your friends and family on your favorite social platforms and subscribe to our podcast. It takes you two seconds, but it really helps us. Okay, Marco, tell me. How do I get started investing even if I don't have what I think is not enough money? I mean, I've got a hundred bucks. What do I do? Yeah, that's a great question, Stacey. So what I typically, the order of operations that I work in is a little bit on the conservative side. So make sure that your financial house is in order first. So make sure that you actually understand how much money you have coming in versus going out, aka somewhat budgeting. You don't have to put everything under a microscope, but it's good to have an idea of what your general income and expenses are every month. That way you can determine, hey, you know, I have a surplus of X amount of dollars. Let me invest a percentage of that. So I would then, uh, you know, emergency fund, make sure that you have some money saved, similar to Dave Ramsey's advice. And then I would look into all of the tax advantage options first. So you can look into things like, you know, uh, employee-sponsored plans, tax advantage plans, HYSAs, um, or excuse me, uh, HSAs, health savings accounts. And then you can also look into 401ks, Roth IRAs, things like that. What I like telling people is at least if your employer is offering some sort of match with your 401k, at least invest up to that amount. So let's just say it's a certain percentage on a certain amount and they match a certain percentage of that amount. Just invest up to that. It's free money. And then at that point, look into things like a Roth IRA. Um, right now, I believe it's $6,500 uh, per year max. And then once you've maxed that out, then you may want to look into taxable um, brokerage accounts or options that aren't necessarily tax advantaged. Yeah, and I think the I actually think the contribution limit for 2024 um, went up. So I think it definitely uh, went up. Yeah, yeah, I think they both went up for 401ks and Roth IRAs, I believe. Yeah, so I think I think uh, for uh, for for your IRAs uh, we're, for 2024, we're looking at seven thousand dollars. Nice. So so yeah, you can you can bump that up when you're planning for your 2024. But yeah, you know, the nice thing to, about a Roth ahead, is, oh, sorry, Stacey, go no, ahead. Can, no, go ahead. I was just going to say very quickly to the audience, so with a Roth IRA, the nice thing about it is that I look at it as almost like a glorified savings account. So you can always take out your uh, contributions up to that dollar. So say I put in you know, 10 grand over a couple of years and that 10,000 becomes 14,000 based on the investments inside of that Roth. Uh, you can still take out the 10,000 without penalty. Um, you just can't touch you know, the... Um, the surplus or the profit, if you will. So um, that then you're limited to 59 and a half for certain life events. But the way I look at a Roth is, you know, don't be too scared because at the end of the day, you know, the worst thing it can become is just simply a glorified savings account. But you know, one thing I want to underline, uh, Marco, that you said too, is uh, again, this match from your company. I mm-hmm. mean, imagine if I told you I had an investment that would make you 50% in one day. Overnight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, exactly. that's exactly what a company match. I mean, the typical match is 50% of your contribution up to 6% of your salary. So if you if you contribute 100 bucks and they give you 50 bucks, that's 50% in one day for with no risk. And so anyone who's not getting their full company match really needs to think about doing that in any way, shape, or form that they can. 
Yep. And the other way that I look at, that's a great example, Stacey, because if you look at it, that's a 50% ROI, tax-free, um, you know, risk-free. Uh, you know, it's, it's just a no-brainer. And if you look at debt the same way, I know this is not an investing uh, question, but just to piggyback off this conversation, uh, if you look at any debt, say, for example, you have a credit card debt and that debt is, you know, 20%. You know, annual percentage rate or whatever. Um, by by paying off that credit card, you are making a guaranteed risk-free, tax-free rate of return of whatever that interest rate is. So in this example, it'd be twenty percent. So sometimes you have to. Sometimes paying off high interest rate debt does make a little bit more sense than investing, um, but that's more of a short-term uh, solution rather than investment being a long-term buy and hold kind of a strategy. I want to sharpen the pencil on that. If I if I'm asking you, uh, Marco, I really want to get started investing. I've got my 401k taken care of. I got my full company match, uh, but I've also got some credit card debt. Should I pay off that credit card debt before I begin any other investing? Yes or no? Yeah, that's a great question. I just it really just depends on the math. So uh, you know, there's a lot of examples of should I pay off my house or should I you know invest mm-hmm. right? And, and to me, coming from a finance background, it's just simply a math equation. Um, some of it is psychological, and you have to account for that. But you know. If you're paying off a 20% interest rate uh, credit card and you're averaging about 7% in your 401k, um, let's just assume you're not getting a match. Let's just assume it's a Roth IRA, for example. Um, Then it's a no-brainer to pay off the credit card, right? It's just math at that point. Um, But I will say, you know, I think building the habits to not get into debt first will allow you to propel your investment journey over time um, and kind of like springboard it. Uh, just because you're not worried about paying off debt, you're just able to invest that surplus into the market or w- of whatever your asset is of your choosing. Even though that's not our topic today, I, I think that's almost more important than investing, to be honest with you. Because I don't know about you, Marco, but I know that the uh, our, my other two co-hosts have, and, and legions of young people have gotten into debt uh, mm-hmm. at, at an early age. And that's, you know, it takes 20 minutes to do and it takes 20 months or more to, to undo. Yeah. According to the headlines out there, it's happening again really yeah. badly. Yeah. Yeah, so, we're at all-time credit card highs right now. I think it's uh, $1.6 trillion, I believe. Yep. But it's not – Miranda, that's not all you, though, right? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I, I count for maybe half of that. You, yeah, I got you. $600 <laughs> no, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think, but I think you know, part of that, um, trying to figure out, you know, when you're going to start investing, what you're going to do – like a lot of people do kind of say, wait a second. And I actually, I did start investing when I had like back when I was younger and um, my, my then husband and I, we had debt, but I still started investing. I still was like, okay, um, I have a job that offers a 401k. So I'm going to go ahead and um, invest what I can from my paycheck with that. It did not have a match, unfortunately, but I was like, I can invest what I can from that. Um, and then, um, you know, a couple years later, um, when we felt like we had got a better handle on our debt and we were paying it down better and most of the debt we did have, we had a lower interest rate, like it was like low rate car loans, um, and, and a home instead of, you know, a bunch of personal loans and credit cards. Um, you know, I, I opened an IRA, a Roth IRA, um, cause we qualified, our income qualified us for that. And, and, and you know, invested that. I mean, I did it through the insurance agent. And so when I started learning about things like fees and loads, I was angry, but, um, (laughs) but, but, you know, um, but still, um, it was still, even with the fees and everything, uh, the net gain of, of, of learning that lesson and investing and just in 
getting started and then moving that account elsewhere um, was still very important. And it still helped me build some capital and start you know, building on my wealth. And so I think a lot of people are are scared to start investing, even if they have some debt. And, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to say like, okay, maybe I'm going to just take, you know, I'm going to put most of my, most of my income toward, um, you know, most of my discretionary income toward paying down that debt. But let me just save a little sliver of that. Let me save, you know, maybe 5% of that and, and invest and build that habit and start moving forward. But speaking of which, let, let's use that as a transition because I want you guys to tell me what I said at the beginning of the podcast was I used to tell people how to invest with very little money, but to think, but things are different now. It's even easier with even less money. So give me some specifics. I, again, we've, we've, got, we've got our 401k covered, blah, blah, blah. I've got some extra money. I've got an emergency fund. I, I, I want to do some investing. Don't have a lot of money. Where do I go specifically? What, what app? What company? What do I do? I don't. I don't know, Stacy. Let's start. Let's start with um. What are our affiliates? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> you mean who, who sponsored that commercial break we just went through? That's right. Start, that's right. Start with them. That's where you start. Okay. After after lining the pockets of our affiliates, Marco, what what do you tell people? I was going to say young people, but it could be any people. What, what how do you tell people to start with little bits with just a little bit of money? Where do they go? Yeah. Specifically? So uh, yeah, that's a great question. I love the candid uh, humor about the affiliates, but um, one that I actually is an affiliate of mine, but I use them no matter what, even if they weren't. Um, so I, I like M1 Finance. And the reason for M1 Finance is because I'm a big proponent of dollar cost averaging. Uh, so for the audience, if they're not familiar, dollar cost averaging is just investing a certain amount of money at a certain interval. So let's just say, you know, 50 bucks a week, you know, every Monday, for example. And the nice thing about M1 Finance is I know it's an audio podcast, but I'm kind of putting my hands up in a circle. Again, going back to that pizza analogy or the pie analogy, um, you can split up your different slices as long as they add up to 100%. So every time you deposit, let's call it 25 or 50 bucks a week, whenever you're making that dollar cost average contribution, um, you can buy fractional shares of pretty much anything, uh, stocks, ETFs, index funds, whatever. So say, for example, you don't have, let's just say VTI, total stock market uh, ETF or index fund costs $200 for easy numbers, and you're only investing 50 bucks, well, you're going to get a fractional share of VTI. So you're still buying into the assets you want to buy into, but you don't necessarily have to invest you know, $1,000 a week just to be able to cover all those slices in the pie. So I really like uh, M1 Finance, and it really, it's a set it and forget it type of investment philosophy. And um, I actually also use M1 Finance and M1 with M1 Finance. (laughs) (laughs) So yay, Marco, we're going to do a high five through the screen. Um, Another one that I really like, I actually have an Acorns um, account and I like it because it does the roundups. And so it'll actually automatically take your pocket change, round it up um, and then invest it. And so for me, um, I use it as sort of this, like my spontaneity thing. So I'm like, Hmm, I'm looking forward to like, maybe I want to do a getaway or something and I'll just like open up the old acorns and see what my pocket change has got. Do you you really get that much in there just from rounding up your purchases? Um, you know, I mean, it's not enough for me to like go on a lavish vacation. It didn't pay for China this year, but it'll pay for like <laughs> what I have in M1 Finance helped pay for China this year. Um, but uh, but 
but no, like, but like if it's something small, like if I'm like, oh, I just want like to do a three day getaway to Lava Hot Springs and pay for the hotel, pay for the massage, pay for my dinner. Just from rounding up your purchases, you got that much money in there? Yeah, like I can do that every few months. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. That's a good idea. Yeah. And it's I'm not gonna, just it's not just purchases. It's it's you know other things that you do. Like they'll connect to your bank account. And oh, okay. no! I thought you meant things. literally when you go to the Seven Eleven and you know something costs a dollar eighty, the twenty cents goes into the account. And I was thinking, yeah, you must so have to do a that's lot of part spending. of that too. Yeah, that's part of that too. Um, but you can also turbocharge them. Mine is actually set to three times. So oh, like okay. if I if I if I spent like five dollars and eighty cents, it rounds up to the twenty cents. But it actually takes out 60 cents and you know but if you're going to do something like that you got to make sure that you have that buffer in your accounts but yeah. like but I can connect all sorts of things to it and it'll like if I um <clears throat> if I tra- like so if I transfer money from my business account um and it it gets taken out of the business account to pay my son who's on my payroll um and goes through that process, like it still rounds up, like it's connected, oh, it'll round cool. up. It doesn't take it out of my business account. It's the the funding account is a personal account. I want to be clear about that right now. I'm not funding my personal investment account with my business account. I want to make that very clear. <laughs> um, that the is IRS not a thing that's listening. happening. This is not LLC TikTok, people. I'm not telling you to do that. <laughs> LLC TikTok. <laughs> so, I, so I have a yeah. question about these apps, but before I do, Marco, I have to tip my hat to you. Not only did you promote your YouTube channel on this podcast, you promoted the sponsor of your YouTube channel on this podcast. That well, was- it's an it's an affiliate, so there's no compensation unless you go exactly to Whiteboard <laughs> Fight. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, actually, I would prefer you to use my affiliate link. <laughs> that is really funny. Well done. But here's a question I want to ask you guys about these apps because I've never used one. Um, do does it cost money? I mean, I mean, it must cost something, right? Uh, that's a good question. I think with M1 Finance, I don't know if they take like fractions of, you know, every transaction. I don't think they do because I think it's hundred percent fee free. I just don't know if the arbitrage between the time you buy the asset you want to buy versus when they buy it. I don't know if they're making a spread on that, but, uh, ultimately the goal is for them to, to get a lot of assets under management because they offer other things like, you know, checkings accounts, savings accounts, credit cards, things like that. So, so they're they're not charging you twenty dollars every time you use the app. I mean, they, no, it's they free. may be making a spread. So, there's no commission on the trades. No, sir. Not that you see anyway. No, exactly. <laughs> right, and um, and so like, and I'm actually, I am actually um, signed up for their their premium, and so Same. I think yeah. So I think it's a hundred. So basically, I pay a, an annual fee of one hundred and twenty five dollars. Oh, okay. Um, so that's not nothing. Yeah. But it's not bad, and um, but that allows me to allows me access to their their other like bank like products, the saving, the spending. Um, you can even you can even um, get a decent interest rate on a loan against your portfolio. Um, that's a whole other thing. That's not something we can talk. We need to talk about today. But um, <clears throat> but Margin like loans, it does. Yeah, yeah, it does provide other services. Yeah, their their high yield savings account has been five percent for months now. When my capital one is like four point three, um, so if you just do the math on that seventy basis points, or, um, you know the point seven percent difference. I mean, you can figure out, hey, is this annual plan worth it? Um, so yeah, their their savings account is really nice. What what other apps are there? I don't want to put you guys on the spot and make you list everything there is, but I because I, I, I hear I've heard of Robinhood a lot. Is that a good app? 
I think if you're a complete beginner, the user interface and the user experience is the best out of all the apps. It's just very simple to understand what's going on, um, especially that, that reduces that intimidation, maybe even education factor that we talked about earlier in the show. Um, but some of their practices over the past, I don't know, year, year and a half have really turned a lot of people off to them. Um, during the whole GameStop, AMC saga yeah, and all yeah, that yeah. stuff. So we don't need to go into that. But as an app itself, I think it's a really well-done app with a great user interface. Yeah, and I think the key with using Robinhood, especially as a beginner, is to once again... Um, you know, if you're if you don't want to be picking stocks, you know, look for the ETFs. They have plenty of index ETFs that you can get into. Uh, they also offer the fractional, and you know, you, and you can set up you can set up that dollar cost averaging that Marco was talking about earlier with Robinhood and do so very easily, and um, and then just leave it alone. I know that Robinhood has kind of gamified it a bit, and it makes it fun to trade, uh, but <laughs> but let's not as beginners. Let's 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 be boring. Yeah, that, that's for actually a, a good while. thing to let's say too. Let's be boring too, for a little while. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned that, Marco. You mentioned at the outset of this podcast that you were a day trader. Are you? Are you? Are you I don't. Know, I don't want to take put words in your mouth. You said day trader, trade a lot, or something like that, right? And no, no, no. I was just giving an example of. Um, I, I know what you're alluding to. No, I'm not a day trader. I'm the exact opposite of a day trader. <laughs> yeah. I am a decade decades plus long term buy and hold. Um, I think, uh, you know, day trading, there's a place, time and place for swing trading. Um, day trading to me is not something that I would delve into, especially as a beginner, but swing trades do make sense. But for me, swing mostly trading? I'm just a buy and hold. Sorry. Swing trading, you're saying? Yeah. Swing trades, maybe like a couple weeks, couple months. You know, if you know something's happening with like, you know, interest rates or some new technology or, you know, uh, I don't know cobalt mining affecting batteries whatever you know GameStop yeah. there's a bunch of different things but um i think that, like uh, even covid was a great example you know cruise lines you know airlines all that stuff um that could be a swing trade but i'm not holding you know american airlines or jets etf for years you know maybe just during the time of covid okay. right so swing trades are okay but yeah i'm a long term buy and hold uh, okay. investor yeah that, i was going to caution people about that too i i've yet to meet a successful day trader um, I live in South Florida, and there are a lot. Of, there's a lot of swing trading going on, but it's not that type. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, any last comment? I, I really want you to convince me, Marco, in a sentence or two, why I need to do this and why I need to do it now. Why do I need to be investing? Yeah, I think your older self will thank you. Um, as long as you look at the trends of at least the American economy. Um, yes, there's a lot of stuff going on geopolitically and all that stuff, but that happens every generation. Uh, if history is on your side uh, when it comes to the market, um, at least if you're investing in the right things. And at the end of the day, uh, with inflation and with savings accounts yielding what they're yielding, um, you know, stocks have historically outperformed that. So if you want to maintain purchasing power, uh, you still want to be able to afford the banana 50 years from now. <laughs> uh, that's why investing is important because it keeps your purchasing power intact for most, most scenarios. Awesome. Well, to, just to let you know, my older self is dead. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe dead even than, me, man. I don't know. We'll dead see. Dead than disco. Yeah, you never know. Anyway, folks, we are out of time on this podcast, but we are never out of topic. Dig a little deeper. You're going to find links to lots more info in our show notes. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, 
Your online home is moneytalksnews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is Miranda Marquit, M-A-R-Q-U-I-T.com. And of course, you want to visit Marco at his website. That is whiteboardfinance.com. But you can also just go to YouTube uh, Go to YouTube and look up what, Marco? Whiteboard Finance. And also, uh, we have a private community called wbfuniversity.com. Uh, it's a great resource. I don't want to plug it too much, but check it out. Marco, we'll, have, there, we'll have links in the show notes. Yes, yes, we will. But it, is there anything else you want to plug before we go, Marco? No, I think this you is got a great it all show. Covered? I, I, okay. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. And one last thing, folks. If you do appreciate what we do, do something for us. As I said before, subscribe to the podcast. It takes you a couple seconds. really helps us out. So if you like to show us and subscribe. I'm Stacy Johnson. I'm Miranda Marquette. I'm Aaron Freeman. And thanks so much for being here with us today, Marco. We really enjoyed having you. Please come back again. Thank you so much. And thank you folks for hanging out with us. And we're going to see you right here next time. <laughs>